Election College, Episode 155, Governor William Goebel. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Jason, we've done a lot of episodes about politicians and elections and presidents and stuff like that, but there haven't been many episodes specifically about governors or any other positions. So why not start with William Goebel? Seems like a great, interesting guy. Yeah, this is one episode that I've been looking forward to for, oh, probably the last six to eight months. I know in the two surveys that we've done since we ended the chronological order of the history of presidential elections, many of you have made comments saying, hey, we want to hear about the gubernatorial races and the senatorial races and the congressional races and so on. So here we are. Who better to begin with, with somebody from Kentucky? And Ben, both you and I share this heritage from deep down in the heart of Kentucky. So here we go. We're direct descendants of William Goebel. No. That may not be true. Not true at all, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> so William Goebel, if you haven't heard of him, is a guy we're going to talk about. He was born in January of 1856, and he was actually born in Bradford County of Pennsylvania, uh, not too terribly far from me. And his parents were immigrants from Germany, and he was an oldest child, but he was a fighter from the beginning. He was a fighter all of his life, really, but he was a fighter from the beginning. He was premature, and he was less than three pounds when he was born. So uh, from the very beginning, he was coming out swinging, basically. Yeah, and like any good German from Pennsylvania, you don't know how to speak English until you're six, right? Well, maybe <laughs> not, but that was the case with him. So about the time Goebel is seven years old, his dad is discharged from the army and they move from Pennsylvania to Covington, Kentucky. And for those of you who don't know where Covington, Kentucky is, it's the city immediately south of Cincinnati, Ohio. And that is where William attended school and became an apprentice jeweler over in Cincinnati. That's quite the ride. He's uh, an apprentice jeweler and becomes a governor later on. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, so he went to business college for a little while. And like Jason said, he was uh, an apprentice there. And then he was also an apprentice at a law firm. Like, as we've said many times, all good p politicians are. Uh, he was the apprentice of John Stevenson, who had previously been a governor of Kentucky. And eventually, Goebel becomes Stevenson's partner. And he graduates from law school, but then eventually, after some uh, further schooling, he withdraws to take care of his family. His father had passed away and uh, just needed to get some work done. So he goes into private practice and then ends up uh, joining up with a state representative for about five years and becomes um, law partners with him. Yeah. So before we get into some of the chronology about Goebel's life, let's talk a little bit about the man. 
he wasn't somebody that you would probably have over for your New Year's party, all right? He wouldn't smile at you. He wouldn't shake your hand. He wasn't particularly good with the ladies. And as a matter of fact, he was the only governor of Kentucky who has never been married. And uh, he has been <laughs> he's been described as being reptilian in appearance. <laughs> so uh, he's probably somebody that then you and I, he wouldn't do well in our family. Yeah, I think that's probably accurate. I mean, we're kind of sarcastic and maybe even a little bit uh, sardonic at points, but we're not sticks in the mud and i i get the feeling from gobel that he was kind of a stick in the mud kind of guy and didn't really you know have a lot of fun but at any rate he got a lot of good stuff done and did a lot of things that people seem to enjoy i guess you could say yeah so gobel he is known for being very very smart and uh let's get into some of the background so ben you know a little bit about Kentucky history. You know about the Hatfields and the McCoys. And yep. you know about how Kentucky was very divided in the allegiance that particular individuals, I was going to say families, but really individuals had mm-hmm. in the era of the Civil War. As a matter of fact, Henry Clay, some of his relatives fought on both sides of the Civil War. Mary Todd, President Lincoln's wife, she had relatives fighting on both sides. So there was a lot of contempt among people who had Southern sympathies and Northern sympathies. And Goebel, mm-hmm. well, his family lived in Pennsylvania for a while, but he spent his childhood in Northern Kentucky, which tended to be more favorable towards the Union. Right. And his father actually fought for the Union and then moved to Kentucky, which, of course, Northern Kentucky was for the Union side, mostly at least. But you have to imagine that it was kind of a difficult situation for him. I mean, his family is not native to America. I mean, they're they're German immigrants and, and they come here and dad wants to fight for the Union. I mean, there's not a lot of things more honorable than that, I would say. And... They're very much abolitionists, huge civil rights for for women, for black people, for anyone who's oppressed. And then they moved to Kentucky, which, even though it was split up a little bit between Union and Confederacy, there's a lot of people on both sides. And so you have to imagine that the environment he was raised in, and of course he was raised during the Civil War period, was confusing and difficult, I would imagine. Yeah. And you can imagine the situation with Kentucky, and we could go way into this, but a lot of the people in Kentucky, especially those who were voting and, well, let's face it, had the money, they also had slaves. And this mm-hmm. was quite upsetting when Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation because you had slave owners who may have been loyal to the Union. Well, they were just outright in disagreement with Lincoln. So if you had any sympathy towards the Union and you found yourself in that situation, well, you were completely turned off. And that's where Kentucky, uh, let's just say it this way, the movers and shakers, they really did not like Lincoln, they did not like Republicans. Right. 
So, of course, when Goebel goes to work for Stevenson, which we mentioned a few minutes ago, Stevenson brings him around to the idea of the Democratic Party or the Democratic ideas in general. And Goebel works for Stevenson. He's the chief counsel for the Kentucky Central Railroad. And he becomes kind of an expert in these contracts that they have and and how the railroads work. And he starts kind of seeing how businesses crush the little guy and how they take advantage of their workers and they put profits ahead of everything. And uh, he realizes there's no laws for this and there's no way to address this. This isn't good. And you have to think that some of the ideas that his parents instilled in him with equal rights for people had a lot to do with this and influenced his beliefs and practices as he went on. And so when Goebel went into private practice, he starts going after these big corporations and railroads, and he goes after the huge railroad networks, and people just start coming to him in droves saying, will you help me? Can you help me? I can't defend myself, and I don't have any money. And the railroad is taking advantage of me. He ends up going after the LNN, which is the Louisville and Nashville Railroad, big time. And over a 15-year period, he tries a ton of cases against the railroad and wins every single one. And these were huge settlements. And by the time Goebel is 30 years old, he is a well-to-do man. But... There's a lot of people who don't like him. So keep in mind, we've already said that the Republicans don't have a boatload of fans in Kentucky at the time, but the Democrats are fragmented as well. And we'll get into a little bit about that when we talk about the convention before his election to become the governor. But ideologies didn't necessarily jive with your political party in all realms. It is a little different today. Well, maybe not. <laughs> so 1887 comes along and Goebel wins his first election. He gets elected to the state senate and it doesn't take long for him to be well respected. So, of course, he's going to keep sticking up for the little guy and one of his first bills that he introduces actually brings down the toll charges on roads in Covington and you know the road is owned by a corporation and the the road is profitable and the the state is you know kind of responsible for the fact that the corporations were able to build them and uh, he is he is in a a heck of a time with some people who were pretty angry because they had bought stock in that corporation. And so John Sanford is one of those individuals, and he ends up blocking Goebel's chance to become a judge on the Court of Appeals. And Sanford has some friends, I guess you could call them, or probably not really friends, but they were high up there. And they were important people in the community, and uh, they were, of course, you know, we're going to play them as the bad guys. They were ex-Confederates. And any kind of politics that happened there in town, they were going to be somewhere in the mix. They were going to be in charge of them in some sense or uh, another. And so anytime they had the opportunity to do so, they would just they would just mess with Goebel and cause him a hassle. Yeah. So Goebel, keep in mind, he is all about, you know, getting women 
to be able to vote for school board members and to serve as school trustees um, as well as be members of boards of education. And then he wanted more rights for African-Americans. And he wanted regulations for doctors and uh, to have prison reform and to get rid of those nasty tolls that, well, (laughs) as Ben said, the corporations kind of ran. And uh, he was not a friend to bankers. (laughs) So he was making enemies on all fronts. Republicans, he didn't like at all. And they didn't like him. And Democrats, especially those who were, well, more aligned with the former Confederacy, they didn't like him either. So he is ticking off just about, I I would say it like this. He's really ticking off the man because you had the big corporations, you had some of the government interests. He was really this champion for women and African-Americans and and, and the common man. And the Sanford guy, well, he just, he's going to come up a little bit later. So you can see how Goebel is really starting to take people off, as Jason said. And no one was more upset with him than the big guys at the LNN rail company, the Railroad Commission. And Goebel has this list of all these regulations he wants to be enforced on the railroad. He wants to protect the Railroad Commission. He wants to make the railroads pay their fair share of taxes. He wants them to stop messing around with the, the business of the state because you have to, you have to think that the, the lobbyists were everywhere. They were going everywhere. They were giving out passes, money, food, uh, booze, anything that they could to get some influence in a government that would make them money in the long run. Not that that's anything like what we have now in this country. I'm no sure way. that's totally abstract from what mm. we have. But <laughs> it was a big issue then, too. So the Railroad Commission had actually increased the valuation on this property that LNN owed. And they increased it pretty dramatically. And the guy who's in charge, who's on the board of the directors, he's like, I need to fix this. I need to go make friends with a bunch of legislators. I need them to (laughs) get rid of the Railroad Commission. And the bill passes the House. It doesn't pass the Senate. Goebel's like, I am launching a committee. We're going to get to the bottom of this. Goebel's local district of Kenton County keeps on electing him to the Kentucky Senate. And his fellow senators elect him as president pro tem in 1895. Well, not everybody in Kenton County was happy that Goebel was doing so well. In comes John Sanford. I mentioned a few moments ago that we bring him up. (laughs) Well, here he is. He hates the fact that Goebel repeals the toll roads and Sanford gets a group of citizens to oppose the increase in tolls on the suspension bridge or the John Roebling bridge, which if you've ever been to Cincinnati, it's a beautiful suspension bridge that served as the prototype for the Brooklyn bridge. I could go on and on about it, but anyway, (laughs) uh, Sanford had invested heavily in that and you have several thousand people who live in Covington, Kentucky, 
and work in Cincinnati. And they're crossing that bridge back and forth. And uh, it's pretty important that they're collecting money. Well, Goebel moves the city, the county, and the school's deposits from his bank to the First National Bank of Covington. And uh, Sanford was pretty ticked off about this because his investments are not making it into his bank. They're making it into Goebel's buddy's bank over at the First National Bank. So Sanford blows his top and says, <laughs> he is either going to kill Goebel or be killed. So it's almost like he, you know, challenged him to a duel, but maybe not. So, But not really, no, because sure. you yeah. always swear allegiance <laughs> in Kentucky that you're not going to have participated in a duel to be in any office whatsoever. We've talked about that before. Of course. Yeah. You had to do yeah. that. There's a shooting. We're gonna get we're gonna get just go there. We're gonna jump the gun and just hop right into the fact that one of them shot the other one. <laughs> Goble and a couple friends are headed towards the First National Bank. And they're walking around in downtown Covington and Goebel's holding his overcoat maybe over his left arm or something. And they're getting close to the bank. And hey, there's Sanford right there in front of them, standing on the bank steps, leaning on the railing with his left arm and his right hand mysteriously in his pocket. And there's some dialogue. And hey, there's Sanford. And Goebel's like, yep. And blah, 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 blah. I'm going to keep out the choice words because we're a family podcast. And so Sanford <laughs> greets Helm and Hendrix, which are, uh, of course... Goebel's friends and he shakes hands with his left hand which of course is not the hand you shake hands with that's the whole reason for shaking hands with your right hand is to make sure you don't have a weapon which he leaves in his right pocket and uh he's like hey Goebel there's some uh, newspaper articles that have been out and I want to know if you wrote them because they said some bad stuff and Goebel's like yep Sure did. And Sanford <laughs> draws out his right hand, has a revolver, uh, shoots right at Goebel's abdomen, and misses. Well, he doesn't really miss because he hits him in the coat uh, and, you know, kind of nicks his vest a little bit, too. Doesn't actually hit Goebel, the person, just his stuff. And, of course, as soon as Goebel sees Sanford reaching for his gun, he steps back, throws his coat on the ground, <laughs> pulls his pistol out of his pocket and immediately shoots back. And he does it pretty stinking quickly. He shoots him right in the forehead and Sanford falls down on the steps unconscious and dies about an hour later. Yeah. So there are witnesses and they say that, yeah, Sanford, he drew his revolver first. He fired the first shot and the county judge said, well, Goebel, it looks like he tried to kill you first. So you're out of here. Go and do your thing. <laughs> so uh, Goebel chills out for a little while. He uh, really tries to um, take charge of the Democratic Party in Kenton County, which he does. And that's a big deal because, well, the Sanford allies were the ones who were in charge. And he basically calls them names. <laughs> and uh, turns the tide and, uh, well, he earned the nickname the Kenton King. And uh, in 1889, sorry, 
So in 1899, he's tired of wrangling with the governor because he's like, I want to get things done. And if you know anything about the history of Kentucky politics, if you have a party convention, well, it's going to last a long time and there's going to be a lot of hooting and hollering. And that's exactly what happens (laughs) in June of 1899. So you've got a group of Democrats convening in Louisville for their convention and who will be nominated as the gubernatorial candidate. And they go back and forth and we could have a whole episode just about this one convention. But for the sake of brevity, know that Goebel comes out on top because he's very good and very shrewd at making his enemies look horrible. <laughs> so you just want to skip the whole drama that happened there. and But we should say... Cut down maybe, to where it says about William Jennings yeah. Bryan. We should probably interject here that William Jennings Bryan, we've talked about him at length before, and we could, he's such an interesting guy, we could probably talk about him at length again in the future if we really wanted to. But anyway, Goebel had hooked him up in the past, and William Jennings Bryan is like, okay, I'm going to come to Kentucky to help you out, because I understand that it will help you, but I don't like it. And I like what you stand for, but I hate the fact that you use profanity because, as we know, William Jennings Bryan's a very religious man. And in the 1900, that was a pretty horrible thing to do is use profanity. So uh, is that all that says about him? I thought it said more about him somewhere. Oh, I don't know. So William Jennings Bryan comes to town, helps Goebel out, and (laughs) helps him win the nomination, of course. So just a we just wanted to, you know, introduce William Jennings Bryan into the into the story here. But yeah, so what it comes down to is you've got Goebel running against the Republican William Taylor, and to put it in layman terms, Taylor and the Republicans represent corporate America. They represent the railroads, and Goebel he represents the population, the the average person. He is your populist candidate. So in the general election, the Republican, William S. Taylor, beats Goebel, but by only 2,383 votes. And the Democrats in the General Assembly say, hang on a second here. There's some voting irregularities in some of the counties, and the Board of Elections (laughs) They were created by a law that Goebel had passed called the Goebel election (laughs) law. And this group was manned by three handpicked Goebel Democrats say, yeah, yes. Hey, General Assembly Democrats, you are right. You need to count these ballots. And the Kentucky Constitution says that the power to review elections is in the General Assembly And, well, hey, buddy, Democrats in the General Assembly, (laughs) um, you need to invalidate some votes. And that's exactly what they do. They invalidate enough Republican ballots to give the election to our buddy, William Goebel. Now, the Republicans, they were pretty fired up about this. 
but let's just put it this way. There was almost a civil war in Kentucky because of all of this. Now, it's interesting to note that Taylor, during this period, serves as governor for about 50 days <laughs> from the middle of December uh, through the towards the end of January, which is where we will pick up. Yeah, so Goebel is hearing all these rumors about, hey, dude, uh, you're going to be assassinated. And so he decides to get a couple bodyguards in order to walk to the old state capitol so that he can be sworn in. And uh, there's a lot of differing reports, and of course, we'll never know exactly what happened. But uh, some people said there were about five or six shots that came out from a nearby building, and one of them strikes Goebel right in the chest and wounds him pretty seriously. And so Goebel is laying on the ground, having been shot in his chest, tries to reach into his pocket for a pistol and tries to get back up, and his friend Jack Chin says, lie down or they'll shoot you again. So Goebel, you know, stays down. Yeah. So the next day, they well, they cart Goebel back to the hotel where he was staying at. And he's clinging on to life. And doctors expect him not to survive. But guess what? The next day, he is still conscious. And he is sworn in officially as governor. Now, Taylor had ordered the militia to come. And you have got this crazy situation going on in Frankfurt because you've got the militia out. You got some pretty fired up Democrats. You got some fired up Republicans. They've all emerged in, in, in the state capitol. And Goebel is now the governor. He signs the proclamation saying, hey, this militia that Taylor called up, um, tell them to go home. And... This might be a little beside the point because you have a man who is dying being sworn in as governor, but the Republican commander of the militia says, nope, we're going to stay here. (laughs) And there are 18 doctors on hand. And by the time February 3rd, 1900 rolls around, which is just a couple of days after he was shot, he dies. And his last words allegedly are, tell my friends to be brave, fearless, and loyal to the common people. So there's a lot of tension before Goebel gets shot and dies. And of course, after he dies, a lot of that tension starts to go away, at least with regard to the election. The people of the state like the lieutenant governor selection a lot better, uh, JCW Beckham. And He's a lot better option for a lot of people than, you know, going into a civil war over who actually won the election. So there's a, a committee that gets together and they try to come up with a compromise and and they ask the Republicans to recognize, hey, Goebel won the election rightfully and and therefore Beckham should have the right to govern. And also Republicans in the meantime, get the militia out of here. We don't need them. And, and it in exchange, we'll go ahead and if you have any ties to the assassination or anything like that, we'll give you immunity, which, by the way, is like a, a pretty big gift, if you ask right. me. Uh, and we'll also 
we won't contest any other elections for the state offices and uh, we'll even work hard to make sure that this global election bill is turned into something a little more nonpartisan. And so, you know, all Taylor has to do is sign it and it becomes uh, it becomes official. And Taylor's like, nah, <laughs> I'm going to be governor whether I'm governor or not. Yeah. So there are a lot of people who are thought to be the assassin, but nobody actually was ever convicted of being the actual killer of Goebel. One story has that the Secretary of State, who was actually Taylor's Secretary of State, uh, Caleb Powers, that he was the guy who did it. But uh, yeah, he was never actually proven guilty. Uh, Taylor ended up fleeing. He left Kentucky, went to Indiana, and by the time 1909 rolled around, everybody who had been alleged... So what it all boils down to is nobody has been conclusively been identified as the killer. So while nobody has been conclusively identified as Goebel's killer, we can definitely say that this was a very partisan issue. <laughs> Basically, if you are a Democrat and you are serving in the General Assembly, if you're serving on any number of courts in Kentucky, well, you're going to do everything you can to nail somebody. And if you're a Republican, you're just going to try to put this behind you. There you have it, the legend of William Goebel. And, you know, we might do some more of these governor episodes, governor-centric episodes, and we'd love to hear from you which governors or senators or representatives or whatever it is you might hear, you might think are interesting. Uh, we really do value feedback from our audience, and we very often take those into consideration and even do episodes out of them. So you can send us a message on social media through Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Look us up at Election College on all of those. And even if you don't have any ideas for future episodes, we just really love to hear from people. Uh, it brings a lot of joy to our day. We usually text each other and say, hey, did you see who just uh, who just messaged us? Or isn't that a cool message we just got? Uh, so you know, we're people just like you. We like to get mail. It's fine. Yeah. And we mean that. <laughs> so uh, we also <laughs> do a little song and dance when we get five-star ratings and reviews in iTunes. If you do find this podcast to be, well, just a bright spot in your week, please do head over. I think it'd take about 47.8 seconds to visit electioncollege.com slash review that'll take you over to itunes where you can do that and just in case you're looking for a new fashion you can check out our election college t-shirts over electioncollege.com slash store and go ahead and pick one up you can not only tell people about us when they see you wearing your shirt you can also help support ben and jason and we put a lot of work into the show and hope you enjoy it and that's great if you do uh if you feel like giving back we're giving you away through electioncollege.com slash store. Yep. We'll see you next time.
save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big